Shalom Aleichem. This is a summary on the first Sicha of Parshas Mateis, Lekutei Sichais, Chelek Yud Gimel. This is a style, this is what we call a Rashi Sicha, this talk of the Rebbe. A talk on Rashi, which the Rebbe began expounding Rashi in 1964 after the passing of his mother. But within Rashi Sichas, this is a, a, a subcategory, another genre. A very exciting subsection of Rashi Sichas, where the Rebbe doesn't have a Rashi in front of him, but he so identifies, the Rebbe so captures the way of Rashi that he'll explain to you why Rashi doesn't comment, and Rashi's approach to the whole topic without even having a Rashi. So let's get right into it. What we're learning about is Nidarim the laws of vows and oaths in Judaism, which is very central to Judaism. A, a person has to keep the word. You say you're going to do something, you got to do it. Nedarim, very, very strict oaths and vows, very strict law within Judaism. And the question arises for Ben Chomish Lemikra, a student studying this now, who's on the level of Pshutish Lemikra, on the simple reading of the text, Rashi's here to explain, now, at the end of their 40 years in the desert, is where we're learning about this commandment. If a person takes an oath, <coughs> they should keep their oath and so on. Such a central concept, which we've learned constantly about in the Torah up until this point. We find character after character making oaths, fulfilling their oaths, being held responsible for their oaths. In, in fact, there's a number of sacrifices which are simply referred to as nedre nedava, a, where a person promises a neder, a vow, that they're going to bring a sacrifice. And that in itself obligates them to bring it. A person vows they're going to be a Nazarite. The Torah tells you what the laws of being a Nazarite are. But the essence of the obligation is clear. You have to keep your word. Even before the Torah is given, we find such an obligation. We find Yaakov making a neder, and Hashem told him, you swore, you made a nether, you made an oath, you made a vow, you have to keep it. And so on and so forth. It's full of it. It's full of this idea. So how does this pop up here all of a sudden? So clearly, according to Rashi, the answer is, and it's an obvious answer for Rashi, he doesn't even have to say it. Clearly, this parish's focus is not on that pasuk, on that idea that you have to keep your word. It's on the details it's on the added laws within this passage, namely the laws governing a man and, and with his wife in terms of nedarim, of an oath, that if a wife makes a personal nedar or something that affects their relationship, the man could abrogate it. He could nullify the oath of his wife. A father has jurisdiction over his daughter. That's another scenario discussed in this passage. As well as the beginning of the passage, Rashi teaches us a th- Rashi teaches us a third law, um, which is referred to as hataras nedarim, the releasing of vows, which is a little bit different. It's a little nuanced, but it's a little different than the nullification of a vow. It's where you go to a rabbi, and he finds a way psychologically that if you would have known this, you would have never made it in the first place. And he has a way to undo and untie the binds of keeping the vow. It's called hataras nedarim. 
And Rashi learns from the beginning of the verse, based on certain words, that this concept and that an individual mumcha, a special person who's like a leader of the Jewish people, an expert, he has the ability to do this, to release a person from their oath through this mechanism, alternatively through a bezdin, which has a spiritual power of three rabbis or three regular people, frankly. Um, and they could release a person with that power based on this mechanism. So according to Rashi, this is the reason that this passage was taught, not to teach you about Nidorim in general, rather to teach you about the particular laws related to Nidorim, which is why the passage concludes in verse 17, these are the laws that Hashem commanded Moshe between a man and his wife, between a father and his daughter. It doesn't even bother mentioning what supposedly would be the central theme, the laws of oaths, that you have to keep your oath. Because that's not this passage. These are the laws between a father and his daughter, a husband and his wife. And Rashi doesn't even have, and that is so obvious that, again, Rashi didn't have to say. This is a brilliant explanation. But now let's go drop deeper, according to Hasidus, according to a deeper understanding. It says in the Gemara, and it's the, the more clear in the Jerusalem Talmud, even in the Babylonian Talmud, but it's discussed in both, that Nidorim is actually a, could be considered a very negative thing. In fact, it expounds a verse in the book of Proverbs where it says, that a person enunciating an oath it could be like stabbing swords. And the Talmud points out in the Jerusalem Talmud, and it says that if you notice, it doesn't say like Kimidaker Rabbi Pinchas said, Rabbi Chanina in the name of Rabbi Pinchas, Kimidaker Enksiv Elakimad Kirois like a double sword in the plural. Why? And he says, let's say I say I'm not going to eat a, I take a vow, I'm not going to eat a loaf of bread. He says, woe unto you if you eat the loaf of bread because you're going to go against your vow. And woe unto you if you don't eat the piece of bread because a Jew shouldn't be removing himself from the world. And the Talmud, and that verse concludes, but the tongue of the wise, of the sages, heals, because they release you from your vow. In other words, there's something very negative about the vow. And then the Gemara goes on to say, Rabbi Dimi said in the name of Rabbi Yitzchak, It's not enough for you what the Torah forbade. You're trying to make more things forbidden. Now, why would that be an idea in Judaism? Why is it important? Seemingly, it would be a wonderful thing to separate yourselves from worldliness and from physicality and connect with the spiritual. But the answer is that God has enough angels. God, God doesn't need people in order to sit on a mountaintop and meditate. The purpose of creation is to engage the world. The purpose of creation is to conquer the world, not to be removed from the world. It can be is to transform the world and make it a godly place, a home for Hashem. We're not supposed to hide behind walls. We're supposed to transform the world. And therefore, it's, it could be considered a sin. But then why would the Torah have the idea of a, of, a, of a neder, of a vow? The answer is because not always could we handle it. We need to protect ourselves. If we're not able to handle it, then it's important to make a vow. Versus when we are able to deal with it, then it's a sin to make a vow. And that's how those two things work together, which helps explain to us why this entire passage comes to just to tell you about nullifying oaths. Because like we said before, 
the idea that you have to keep your word, that, that we already know earlier. Entire passages coming to teach us about how to nullify and undo your oath, because that is the end game. That is the goal. We want to be in a position where we're spiritually strong enough that we could deal with the challenges and that we're able to take on the world and transform the world and make it a godly place. And which is why when you're coming, if the Torah tells you that you come to a great rabbi, it's obvious to Rashi that it means that the rabbi is here to take you, tell you how to get rid of your oath. Again, we're speaking in the spiritual realm now. Because the rabbi's job, the ultimate level that he could bring you to is where you actually don't have the oath and he unties the oath that you're able to deal with the world. And this also explains to us why it's in the end of the 40 years, right before they're going to enter the land of Israel, they're talking about this topic because they're about to leave the ghetto. They're about to, till that point, they were behind the walls and now they're leaving, they're going into the land of Israel to conquer, to engage in the world, which is the concept of getting rid of the vows and actually dealing with reality instead of running away from it. However, like we mentioned before, many of us and probably most of us need to have, at least regarding many things, borders and walls. And we have to know our limitations and things that we can't handle. We have to remove ourselves completely from those situations. But even a person like that still has the concept, which is very special, of transforming the physical. How so? And it's a tremendous idea. Because the Torah says that why should you not break your word? The Torah says, Don't make your words profane. In other words, you're, you have to value your word. Don't desecrate your words. You could think, people could think, my words don't mean anything. My words are, they don't mean, they're mundane. They don't mean anything. The Torah says, don't profane your words. Your words are not mundane. Which is a very powerful idea unto itself. The power of our words and that we have to understand that our words carry holiness within them and that by listening to our commitments, that in itself is a way of entering into the land of Israel in a way, it's a way of of bringing godliness into something that people would consider mundane. And then ultimately the person could reach the level where they get rid of the oath because they're able to deal with the actual world. And that is the beautiful lesson that we learn from all of the above.